We are taking a break from Matthew for the summer. We're going through a series that we call Nuts and Bolts. Oh, it's not up there. We have a graphic and everything, but no, sorry. It's a good graphic. You have to take my word for it. Uh, but each pastor is going to be kind of doing maybe a little bit more of a practical uh, message that relates to the church. I'm going to be looking at some of the different relationships that God has has ordained or put in place for the good of society, for the good of individuals, and for the good of the church, and ultimately for His glory. So I'm going to start out this morning by describing something that is familiar to us, and I want you to see if you can figure out what it is. It's going to be tough, so you're going to think hard here. It's going to be hard to crack the code on this, so here we go. What do you call a group of people that love one another, care for each other, stick together through thick and thin, who laugh together, cry together, celebrate together, eat meals together regularly, spend a lot of time together and share what they have with each other, who have things in common like their culture, their norms, their, their values, their rules, even sometimes their own language and, and inside jokes, and who are connected together throughout life in a very special and binding way. What would we call that? Family. I knew you guys were smart. You get it. We all recognize this description as family or at least what a family should look like or what we'd hope it would look like. Family is extremely precious to God. It's a building block he put in place for a healthy society. And, and I know that we all see the state of the family today and, and it can be disheartening to see so much brokenness. It's not what God intended when he, when he had family in mind. But the good news is in the same way that God is restoring and redeeming us as individuals, he takes these individuals and he places them into a, in a family that he is also restoring and redeeming and, and that we can be a part of. The church family um, is made up of an extremely diverse group, a group that really shouldn't make sense on paper, you know, male and female, obviously, young and old, rich and poor, you know, the marginalized, the, the successful, every race, every tribe, every tongue, every nation makes up this, this thing we call the family of God. It's, it's really a remarkable thing. Um, it shouldn't make sense, like I said, but, but because of Christ, it, it does make sense and it, and it, and it can work. So we get a glimpse kind of of what this looks like in Acts chapter 2. Um, it's a familiar passage, I think, but we're going to flip over there and look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And it tells us there that the early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. And it says that awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and with generous hearts. And they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And in the midst of this kind of a community and this kind of environment, it ends by saying, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, so when we read about the early church and kind of see how they related to one another, it very much resembles what we think of as family, but they weren't blood related. So it's like, well, how does that work? You know, a family is typically, typically thought of as people who are related by birth or marriage. So how are we able to refer to the people that make up the church as a real family? You know, we kind of say, well, it's like a family, but it's not a real family. Well, there's another way you can become part of a family. Uh, how many of you guys have been adopted? Okay, well, I see like, okay, this is a trick question because if you're a Christian, hey, congratulations, you've been adopted, right? If, you know, God has adopted you into his family. We read about this in in John chapter 1 and verse 12. It says, but to all who did receive him, speaking of Jesus, 
to those who believed in his name, he gave the right, that's a crazy word, the right to become children of God. And in Romans 8, it says, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters so that you get to cry out to God, Father, Abba, Father. This is crazy. The Spirit himself, it says, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. I think we read over these things sometimes and just don't, we just don't get it. It's like, this is amazing. This is, this is you know, it, it's funny because you think about when you have family members, you, you know, kids, your kids bring family members, or I'm saying this wrong, your kids bring people over to your, your home. You got the graphic up, Nice. And they want to be part of your family. I remember this growing up, you know, the kids would bring over, and, hey, we want to be a Maxwell too. And it's like, okay, fine, you're a Maxwell, you know, you pull them in. But it wasn't real. We knew that, right? But this isn't like that. This is real. And, and the, the reason we know it's real, real is because it says you get part of the inheritance. If you start, if, if you're in a family and you get part of the inheritance, it's, it's a real deal. You're a real kid at that point. And this is because of our identification with the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Because of this, those who place their trust in this, God now sees and accepts you as one of his own children. So you have a seat at God's family table for eternity because of Jesus. If we belong to Christ, we belong to his family. Now, my guess is there are many people out there who don't really think of the church this way. Maybe they do a little bit, but not really. Um, Because what is church for, for many people? For many people, it's just a place to come for an hour every week or two, hear a sermon, maybe be encouraged a little bit, uh, maybe get prayed for, sing a couple of songs, check that box, you know, Christianity box to make sure God's, you know, still, you're on his good side still, that kind of thing. But church is meant to be so much more than that. Church isn't a building that you occasionally visit. You know, it's really hard for me to get this through my head because I was raised Roman Catholic, and in, in the Roman Catholic religion, that the building is just the, you know, it's the coolest part. There's the stained glass, there's all this stuff, it just feels like this, this really cool place. But but the church isn't a holy building, it's a holy people. And, and this, this, this assembly that God has put together is something that you get to be a part of. Do you know how lucky you are to be included in this? This isn't something that applies to everyone. And again, growing up Roman Catholic, I remember that teaching that we're all, we're all brothers and sisters, we're all sons and, and daughters of God. And there's a sense, because we're part of his creation, made in his image, that we have value for certain, but not everybody is adopted into God's family. I want you to picture for a second God walking into an adoption agency, looking around at all the kids he could choose from and walking out with you. I don't mean that, but I mean, just think about that. He picked me. It doesn't make sense. And yet this is what the scriptures tell me. He loved me. He wanted me. He chose me before the foundation of the world, according to Ephesians 1.5. It says he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world according to his own purpose and will. You know, he's, he's, he's placed you in his family by design for your good, for your thriving, and for the benefit of, of all of us, for your other family members as well. And you would think you would want to take full advantage of that, wouldn't you? I mean, think about, think about the most famous family in the world that you can imagine, somebody that you really admire, a family that's just like, wow, that family's amazing. 
If they asked you to become part of their family, you know, hey, we want you to, to join our family, to show up for all the, the meals and the, out, you know, the outings, um, you know, you get a share in the riches and the, the notoriety, uh, we want you in the family pictures, you know, that kind of thing, you would think you would say, I can't believe this, I'm going to take full advantage of that. God has opened his front door to you and invited you to come in to his home and be a family member. And there are so many, so many people, Christians that I see that, that don't seem like they really want to be a part of that. Why? why? Why would a Christian choose to reject this and go it alone? And the first possibility is one that nobody likes to hear or mention, but it has to be said. If somebody has no interest in the family of God and being a part of the family of God, it might be because they're not an actual family member. I'm baffled by this so many times. First John clearly teaches that if we love God, we will love his kids, right? We, we will, we will, if we can't stand being around the family of God, what, what does that mean? Now, another reason that people avoid being part of the family of God um, is because we don't like people getting up in our business, right? You, you want to be able to do what you do without anybody really checking on you and, and asking questions or that kind of thing. Um, we don't like really that idea of accountability, but accountability is really good for us. Um, it's a grace of God. I am so thankful that I have people in my life that have kept track of me over the years, that if they see me doing something weird, they'll, they'll say, hey, what are you doing over there, Brent? You know, I, that's a good thing for us to have, checks and balances and people that are concerned about, about you. This is what families do for each other. If you see a family member going off in a, in a bad direction, you, you warn them and you, you, you seek them out and you go after them. Another common reason that people disconnect from their church family is because they've been hurt by their church experience. And if you've been uh, a part of a church for more than maybe two weeks... <laughs> You've probably experienced this. It doesn't take long, right, to, to find, you know, whether it's intentional or unintentional, we, we just do this, you know, we're, we're, we're broken people and we, we hurt each other. And I wish we could say as pastors, you know, we're excluded from this, but I mean, on both sides of it, you know, but we've been hurt. Uh, people say stuff to us, it's kind of unbelievable sometimes, but, but the, the thing that, that I, that's expected, but the thing that I really am grieved about is I know we've hurt people, you know, we're the pastors, we're supposed to be the examples, and I know there's been times when we've didn't mean to, but we've hurt people, and it breaks my heart to think about that, because very often you don't get the chance to make it right. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I wish I could do a take back or a, have a redo because of something I said or a thoughtless thing I did, and, and very often we try to go back and fix that and correct it, but sometimes people just, they leave, they're out, and you don't get that opportunity, and that, that hurts the whole family when that happens. So getting hurt can make it hard to stick it out, but, but I would ask, have, have you ever been hurt by your family? <laughs> of course you have. Did you leave? No, most of the time we, we stick it out because we understand this is family. We don't, we don't have an option to just leave, you know? You don't just quit coming to the dinner table. It's like, where'd they go? Oh, they got hurt, you know? No, you, you find a way to work it out. And I would argue that the connection that we have in Christ is stronger than that of family, a blood family. And I know that some of you know this, you know, you, you just know this already, but, but the family of God will exist together for eternity. You know that? We might as well start trying to get along now, right? This is going to, this is going to, we're in for the long haul here if we're, if we're in the family. So the church is not a perfect family, clearly, but it is, it is becoming a perfect family. And I love this. God is exceedingly this family is precious to him. He has promised he's going to never give up on it, never forsake it. He's going to continue to change us. He's going to continue to perfect us. Um, I love that we are a group of broken people 
You know, we're all sinners. We're all blowing it sometimes. We're all in process. We understand that. So is the church a mess? Sometimes, but it's a beautiful mess because it's, it's a mess that God is, is actively involved in, uh, turning it into something amazing and incredible. So when you think of the church like a holy temple, you know, again, I, I have that picture in my mind of that, that kind of Roman Catholic church. But, but it says, no, this is, a, this is a temple that's being built stone upon stone by believers. God has taken each one of these family members and he's building us into this, this place that is his dwelling place. It, it, it's incredible. And one day it's going to be completed and, and somehow this is going to be something we see in the, temp, you know, in, in the kingdom. There will be no more sin. There will be no more disharmony, no more hurt. Any, all that's going away. And I can't wait until that day comes. But the cool thing is that he has not left us alone until that day. He hasn't left us alone to navigate this crazy world that we live in by ourselves. He's given us his Holy Spirit, and he's given us each other. And whether you like it or not, we actually need each other. God has designed it that way on purpose, right? The Bible refers to us as aliens and strangers. That's kind of a weird, you know, way to think of yourself, but you're an alien and a stranger if you're a Christian. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like I just don't fit in here? I love the way C.S. Lewis says it. He says, if I find myself in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You know, and, and, and when we get there, when we finally get to that other place, the God's main, we're going to feel right at home. We're going to feel, I mean, at, at some point, I'm not going to feel like a weirdo anymore. And right now... I do. I feel like a weirdo here. Um, and it's really comforting to know that I'm not the only weirdo, you know? <laughs> I'm surrounded by family that's, that's weird like me. But, but this means that in, until we get there, we are living in a foreign and difficult land, and, and we need to rely heavily upon each other to encourage each other, to help each other, to keep each other sane sometimes, just to remind each other of truth. This is why we have family. It, the, the support that I get from, from my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ is an amazing thing. Now, all of this screams to us that it's extremely dangerous for Christians to go alone, and yet still so many do. And I would just ask you, would you, would you walk through a dangerous section of a city alone at night? I definitely wouldn't. <laughs> uh, would you walk through a jungle filled with dangerous predators by yourself? Would you walk across enemy lines in a war alone? No, you understand the danger. But again, God has made it clear that we have an enemy. I mean, you already know what verse I'm going to read. 1 Peter 5, 8, right? Be sober-minded, Christian. Be watchful. For your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a stinking, roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. I threw the stinking part in. But I mean, this is like, <laughs> there's a lion that's trying to find you and get to you. And, and, and then we, stray, we go off on our own. We, we don't, you know, it's like, stay in the herd, people. There's safety. There's, there's strength in being together. We need, we need each other, and, and especially the most vulnerable among us, those who are maybe prone to, to, to something or whatever. We need each other. We need to be together. So God has actually designed his church with that in mind. He's placed us together for the good of each other. And, and we read about this in 1 Corinthians 12, where it compares the church to a functioning body, and it explains that each part is important, each part is valuable, each part has a role to play. Uh, we need each other in that regard. So, you know, the foot can't say, I don't need the hand, and the eye can't say, I don't need the ear. It, it, it's silly to think about that way, but I love this picture of the church. Everyone is important and valuable to the whole, and everyone has a part to play, and, and the, the idea is that it has to work together to function properly. 
And so we know how this works. If you've ever disabled part of your body or, or hurt yourself in some way, you know what that does to the rest of your body. It's like everything else has to work harder because of that thing. And, and this is true in the church as well. You know, the old, the, the old stat says that 20% of the people in the church do 80% of the work. It seems to be relatively accurate, and, and it's, a, it's, it's kind of sad that it's that, it's that way because every person here could, can be doing something. We need to make sure that everybody knows that they're needed, number one, but also we need to make sure that they know that we want their, their, their service, we want their, their help. I think a lot of churches don't do this well. In many churches, the pastors and the staff do everything, and sometimes that's because you know, the pastor says, well, if you want the job done right, you know, you've got to do it yourself, and they don't let anybody use their gifts and serve. And then another, you know, the other extreme would be like, well, we pay you guys to do everything, so you handle it, and we'll just sit back here and, and enjoy the show. We have purposely tried to create an atmosphere at the door from day one to let you guys know that you are needed, that you're even expected to be an active part of this church. So, so the, the, the different kind of pictures we give you is a cruise ship and a battleship. So when you show up here, we don't want to like, hey, here's a lounge chair for you. Here's a nice drink with an umbrella. You know, enjoy yourself. No, this is a battleship. Grab an oar, grab a weapon, grab a shovel. I don't know much about battleships, but I'm sure there's other good things. <laughs> I don't know. You know, we need you. We're on a mission together, an important mission, and everybody has a part to play and everybody matters. And I think we can get, you know, as the question comes up, you know, well, how, how am I supposed to get involved? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, because I think we can get overwhelmed by this idea of like, well, I don't, would you want me to come up here and preach a sermon? No, it's not, it doesn't have to be something quite like that. We, we tend to think more in this programmatic way of, I need to find this thing to do. And sometimes it might just be as organic and as simple as being together. You know, we don't have to overcomplicate it. If you look at the early church, I don't think that they were, you know, had a sign-up sheet for everything they were doing. I think that they just spent time together and everything that needed to happen began just to pop up and become obvious and people met the needs. That's what I kind of see happening here. Acts 2 gives us this kind of picture of what the church looked like. And it describes a family that was devoted to one another. And it's really an example for us to emulate. The word devoted is, is you know, we know what it means. But it basically is the steadfast adherence. Intently engaged, persistent. It means that they had buy-in and commitment. This wasn't just the church. It was their church. And there's a big difference when you cross over into that, into that way of thinking. So what did this devotion look like that bound them together? Uh, the first mark of a healthy Christian family we see that is that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching or what we would just now call biblical teaching. And this is something that far too many churches have jettisoned and, and far too many Christians have just, they don't seem to be devoted to it any longer. And, and I want you to know that we're not going to be swayed by popular opinion or, or what the culture dictates here, we're going to make sure that we are sticking to what God's word says, because this, this is what really matters, and we trust in what it says. So at the door, we, we hold God's word in high esteem. We believe it's true, that it's right, that it's inspired by God, and that it's therefore authoritative in our lives. So we don't, we don't make this bend to our will. We, we bow to, to what it says. We, we, we submit to what it says. God has revealed himself exactly the way he wants to in his word. And it's clear. He, he's given us everything we need in this book for life and godliness, for us to follow. And we just need to make sure that we're, we're actually doing that. 
So we're committed to rightly dividing it. You know, and sometimes people will see me on Sunday morning and I'm just nervous. It's because we're preaching the word of God. This is terrifying. This is an awesome responsibility to get right. And we, we really take that seriously. We want to make sure this is rightly divided no matter what we're doing in this church, that this is done well. Um, so we want a steady diet of God's word and we want to make sure that we always are making the hero of the Bible evident. Who is the hero of the Bible? Jesus. And if we're not pointing the spotlight on him, we're doing something wrong. So that's the first thing they were devoted to. The next thing that they're devoted to is to fellowship. And this just has to do with who you hang out with regularly. This matters so much. There's the old saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. It's true. If you, you know, basically spend 98% of your time with non-Christians and then two hours every couple of weeks with the family of God, Guess, guess which one, the, you know, where's the influence going to be? Who, who are you going to be more like? Who are you going to act like? What kind of impact will it have? So we want to always make sure that we don't just have opportunities on Sunday for us to gather. I love Sundays, but throughout the week that there's opportunities for everybody to be together and, and for, you know, ideally moms can be together, dads can be together, kids can be together, um, workers, retirees, whatever it is that, that we have, that we make this possible. Um, this brings us to the subject of integration, which we did a podcast uh, uh, recently on this subject, and we were kind of, um, I, I think we were misunderstood, but it's probably the way we said it, in fairness, because we don't always say things right. So if, if you heard it, it was called, you got to keep them integrated, and, and it was the idea of the importance of the church, every age group, everybody that you know, makes up the church being together um, as, as one family. And the reason we brought it up, you know, so many churches, they'll separate people out based on age or common interest or common struggles. And, and this is intentional on their part. And they don't always seem to value integration. And we were trying to point out, no, integration is a great thing. But somehow we came across saying that if you're not doing it this way, then, you know, you stink. That wasn't the point. Sometimes men need to be with men and talk about things that men can talk about. Sometimes women need to do the same thing. That's a good thing. Sometimes kids need to be around kids and make these friendships and form these bonds, and we're not against that. We want this to happen. Um, We simply wanted to just point out that there there is value to to both. It's not an either-or situation. It's a both-and. So what this looks like sometimes in in churches that that don't value integration is they'll send the kids away, and this is, I'm, I'm saying this in kind of an extreme way, but they'll send the kids away, say, you guys go over there for like 18 years, and we'll be over here, and then when you're done over there, come back over and join the family. And they walk back over to the family and go, well, I don't know any of you, and I don't even really feel a connection to you. I don't feel like we're family. And they they walk away. We don't want to see that. And this is at a time when they're desperately trying to belong and find themselves, probably the most critical time. Hopefully, they've been part of this family all along right? So we have to work at that. Another example would be young families. I, know, I understand why young families with young kids, newly married, all this kind of stuff, they want to hang out together. They have so much in common. That's a good thing. It's, a, it's understandable. But what we do is we say, you guys go over there. And then we take all the people that have been there, done that, bought the t-shirt and survived, you know, and we say, you guys go over there and don't talk to each other. Well, why would we do that? They know, they know how to be married. You know, they know how to parent. Why would we separate these two groups out and keep them away from each other? So both and, find a way to, to bring people together. There's value and wisdom in, in that. And so we want the door to be a place where everybody belongs, regardless of age, that they, that they know that they're important, that they're valued, and that they feel this belonging of part, of part of a family. This is why I love the sharing time that we do here, and this is why we keep the kids in here with us when we do it, before we send them to Sunday school, is because it's family time. They get to see 
and be part of the family. We got to see, I love it when a young person raises their hand and, and, and shares something. And I know you guys love it too because it blesses us. That's her church. That's his church. When, he, when you know, They feel like they're part of this and they can, and they can do that. That's amazing. It's a blessing. So we want to find more meaningful ways to accomplish this. And we realize that we don't always do it well. Um, a lot of you guys have really great creative ideas. Um, I, I won't name names, but I can think of people that are always thinking of like, hey, we could do this or we could do that. Sometimes we stink at ideas, or at least I do. Um, and we like, we like trying to figure this out. We want to get better at this to find meaningful ways to meet the needs of families, the older people, the younger people, kids, whatever it is. Um, so, and, and to think about how do we attract people from every walk of life, whether they're down and outers or whether they're rich or whether they're, you know, whoever it is in society, whatever our society looks like around us in our culture, we should look like that in here as well. And so we want to we do that. And while Sundays are just an amazing time, like I said, I love Sundays. It's a time when we get together and, and, and enjoy teaching, fellowship, communion, all these things, prayer. It covers two hours of 168 hours during the week. If that's the total, total amount of your, your, you know, your Christian existence, you're missing out. It, it's, just, it's difficult to care for people when you're just looking at the back of their head you know, for an hour. You, you know, There's only so much you can do, right? So a regular family is able to do this well care for each other well because they're, they're constantly together. They're in community with each other. And with the church, you know, the church isn't any different. So community groups, this is an area that when we started the door, we almost made it mandatory, almost in a militant way. We probably went too far. But we, we said, if you're a part of the door, you need to be in a home group, period. And if you weren't, we, we probably shamed you a little bit. So confession as well as we need to get back to that somewhat. Not, not quite that crazy, but we want to make sure that home groups, community groups during the week are flourishing and thriving, and that everybody that wants to be a part of one can. Um, so that's something that's on our list of we want to find homes, we want to find hosts, we want to find facilitators. If this is something that I know some of you guys are home group junkies out there and you've been keeping quiet for too long, let us know and we, we want to try to form more groups. Right now we've got like one super group that meets on Tuesday nights. It's about 30 people. It's a great group, but it's massive. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying we're going to break it up. Don't, I don't want to... I don't want anybody to come at me right now, but we would love to see a couple more groups start up. And, and I will say, as the pastors, this used to be something that we, we led the charge in this, and then at some point we got overwhelmed and stopped leading the charge, and I'm done doing that. So I will go on record. I'll have a home group in my house come fall, whatever we need to do, because I want this is so important to the life of the church. Okay, next thing they were devoted to is the breaking of bread, and, and we immediately think of a meal. I don't know, when, you're, when your kids were young, we, we were really good about sitting together at the dinner table every night. That was a place to connect. It was that kind of family hub. Um, this is, you know, when you sit down and eat a meal with people, it's a very intimate kind of a setting. It's a, it's a way for you to get to know people. And I would encourage you to do that within the church. You know, invite a family over. And you think, well, that might be awkward just to have one family. Well, invite two then. then you, you know, it'll mix it up. You'll be fine. Uh, if you're not a good cook, get pizza. There, there's no real reason, but you will, you will go into a deeper level of relationship when you eat together, just the way it is. But I really think what they're talking about here is this table. The early church got together and remembered Jesus and what he did for them on, on a continu- This was what they centered their, their fellowship around, was the Lord's Supper, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And we're going to get to that in a minute, but this table unites us together in Christ, so hold tight. That's coming. The last thing mentioned is um, their devotion to prayer. Prayer is something that demonstrates that we're depending on God and not ourselves. It, it, it's something that demonstrates 
that we love each other and care for each other. When we see that take place here on Sunday mornings, when people pray for each other and, and have this moment where they can, it, it's just, it's such, a, it's such a good thing. I know you guys pray for your kids. You probably pray for family members you're concerned about. As a family of God, we need to do this for each other. We need to find ways to pray for each other. If somebody comes and bears their soul to you and tells you they're struggling with something, um, pray for them right then and there if you can. This is something that drives, this is my pet peeve. This is like not even in my notes, but uh, I, I, it, it baffles me sometimes when you say, man, I'm really struggling and I, I'm doubting my faith and I don't even know what to do at this point. And you're like, hey, I'll pray for you. Be warm and fed and you walk away. And it's like, but what about now? Yeah, now is good. So, you know, be that kind of Christian. Um, I, I love that we, you know, people say often that I see God answer prayer so much at the door. And I, I really, I don't think it's because we're, super Christians or anything special. I think it's because we actually allow God, we, we set a stage for him to act. On Sunday mornings, we provide a time when we rely on our God and say, God, act mightily in our midst. And I think there's, I, this is going to sound bad, but I think we give him an opportunity to kind of show off a little bit, show his, you know, and, and I love that. So, so prayer, we want to be devoted to. I don't know where I'm at here. <laughs> give me a sec. Um, this is just kind of a small glimpse of why being a part of the family of God is so important. Uh, it, you know, for, for Christians, it's vital to our health. It's vital to our growth, our worship, our purpose, our service, all these things. Um, if you've been kind of sitting on the sidelines for too long, I would encourage you, you, you know, you're missing out. Do you ever sit there and think, you know, there's got to be more to this Christian life than what I'm experiencing? There is. And, and it really has to do with, with diving in with both feet and, and becoming part of the family, maybe in a deeper way than you have before. But it's not just important to us in the building. It's important to those outside the building. And I think this is something we don't often think about. Our testimony, as far as what this family does and looks like, says something to the outside world. Because like I already said, this shouldn't work. There's no way that a group this diverse, with nothing in common apart from Christ, should be able to come together and love each other the way we do and care for each other the way we do. And when people see that, they're going to conclude, hopefully we can connect the dots to this when they see it, that Jesus is really, really real that he really does live among us, that he is really risen and that he lives within us. And that's why this happens and that's why it works. And so this is why investing in this family relationship and being devoted to it is so important. The world is watching. They're, they're looking at how we treat each other. They're looking at how we treat them. And, and all of this is, is saying something. So how are we representing the family? I just would just think about that for a minute. As a follower of Christ, if you say I'm a follower of Christ and you're wearing the team jersey, how are you representing the family? I grew up uh, in a small town in Idaho, and my dad was a cop. And I, I should have represented the family better than I did because that was a big deal. You know, if you're a cop, you want to make sure your kid doesn't misbehave too badly. And, and I, didn't, I didn't do a good job of that. Well, now I have a heavenly father that I really want to represent well to those that are watching me. This is a big deal. This is eternity at stake kind of deal. So this matters. Jesus said, all men will know that you are my followers by the way that you love one another. It's pretty simple, you know. It, it, it'll, it'll tell people that he's real. So, and, and when it spills out of here and into the community, it's even better. And it says, I love that, that people, that the Lord was adding to their number day by day by day, the people that believe based on what they were seeing. So people are searching when they see this. It's a powerful draw. In closing, I want, I want to say this. I, this message is not meant to be a guilt trip. 
Um, one of the worst things that can happen to you on a Sunday is, is you can show up weighed down by the, you know, the things of the, and then I somehow put this guilt trip on you and say, hey, here's more for you to carry during the week. Um, if you're a Christian, you are a member of God's family. What you do with that is up to you. You don't have to do these things. You get to. And it's, it's one of the greatest things. If you're not a part of the family, you're missing out. And we're missing out too. This is something that I think everybody will benefit from if they, if they I can tell you the times um, in my life when I'm thriving as a Christian, it's when I'm invested in church family, when I'm part of home groups during the week, um, when I'm thinking of other people and serving other people in the body. In places where the, the church is persecuted right now, do you think they're desperate for this kind of family? Absolutely. You know what this means to them to have this kind of, this kind of tight group that they can be a part of? And, and that may be coming for us as well. So know that it exists. Know that it's here. Know that this is an amazing thing that God has allowed you to be a part of. Um, cherish it. Love it. Appreciate it. Be devoted to it and serve it. Be good family members. The table that we're about to enjoy right now is um, a representation of this communion that we have with Christ and because of him with each other. Um, he's that, he set this table for family members. If you're a believer, you, you get to enjoy this with each other. So I love this table because it, it looks back on what he's done for us. It, it looks up in worship to him now. Uh, it looks around the room at, at fellow believers and it looks forward to the time when we get to be with him again. So God's, you know, this is in some ways, this is like your adoption papers. This is Jesus' body and his blood for you, Christ for you, so that you could become part of God's family. And when you enjoy this meal, think about that. This is God's table set for you to come and enjoy. He invites you to do that. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna we, we have some new people here, so the way we do this is we come up, to, you know, just come up and take it. You go back, take it on your own. You can pray with family. You can, well, family. You can pray with anybody. You'll be praying with family. You can pray with your own family. You can pray with your other church family members. And then uh, we'll sing a song when we're done. But I'm just gonna read from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you so much that you have designed a redeemed and restored family called the church and that we get to be adopted into it. That just doesn't make sense. And we know that it's because of Jesus. We know that it's, you've opened this door um, through him, that, that he is, in fact, the door that leads us into this family. And so we pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here that's never become a part of that family, that today they would do that. Um, just, just by faith right now, they would trust in, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ um, and come to you right now pleading for, you know, for forgiveness from their sins and turning from everything they've been trusted in and, and submitting to you as their Lord. Um, and for those of us who are already family members, Lord, help us never to take this for granted. Help us to love each other well, represent the family well, and to, to bring as many people into the family as we possibly can. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.